I'm Ginger Birkenbuehl. And I'm Esther Ikoro, And we're the hosts of the Honest Field Guide podcast. Entrepreneurship is no joke. The journey is full of anticipation, failure, hope, and disappointment. You'll make money and be totally broke at the same time. The Honest Field Guide podcast tells you the truth. We know being an entrepreneur is crazy hard and you will sometimes cry dinner. Listen in to be inspired, laugh, and learn how to really thrive on your business journey. Hey, Ginger. Hey, Esther. How's it going over there? It's going all right. You know, it's... Live from COVID land? <laughs> you know, COVID land. You know, there are so many crafts going on here. There are so many crafts in this house. Oh I my mean, gosh. You know, it's I can't like, imagine. I'm telling you, tape, glue everywhere, glue sticks, stickers, handmade yeah. cards, paper scraps, paint stains, face masks, yeah. lots of handmade face masks. Every time I come into your house, I feel like you have <laughs> that room where everything happens at. And I'm like, I'm there's always you. something in some phase of construction. Well, now it's all some rooms. record. It's all yeah. the rooms now. I mean, we're not going to the store. So like my kid, you know, my artist kid, um, he makes all these handmade masks and he's got his own like special like way masks, to do them. Like, like COVID masks? Oh, heck like yeah. Mask, yeah. I was masks. like, get to work, kid. Make some money. Yeah, totally. And, and he's got these like <laughs> special filters you know, that are, that are designed for like antiviral filters. And it's pretty wow. cool. I mean, yeah. I mean, there, and the other thing that, that's happening is like, because we're not going anywhere because we're trapped, um, the boys are making handmade little, these little mini skateboard things are driving me crazy. They're like, can you get me this like foamy stuff? And, you know, so, you know, they're doing a lot of, it's a lot and the house is a disaster. It's a disaster. Wow. Yeah, it's wow. a disaster. You know? Couldn't be me. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> the, the other, the other good thing is though, I will say this, um, because of this stay at home and like I'm not going to the stores anymore and I'm not being lazy and going to Target, I'm doing a lot more local shopping, you know, like getting custom jewelry and custom candles and soaps and I'm rediscovering all this handmade stuff. And like, what about you, Esther? Like, are you like, are you, do you know how to make stuff by hand? Are you like a crafty person? Um, I'm a plant person. Now I can put some popsicle sticks together. I can do that. <laughs> and I'm more of a visionary, you know, I can creative direct it, but I can't. So I should have learned, but it's one of those things where by the time I wanted to, I was like, oh, you can pay other people to do it. You could just tell them what to do and you don't have to do it. So I never learned. Um, well, I didn't but- learn how to sew either. I, I never okay, learned to sew. Cool. So that's the one thing I never did. Turns so. out you can buy the clothes. You don't have to make them <laughs> yourself. But yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've always been fascinated by DIY, otherwise known as do-it-yourself culture. You know, I first, I know you're laughing, but it's true. I've been fascinated. I I've, have a friend who calls it do-it-yourself. <laughs> like, do it, <laughs> don't you even do, do it. it. Yeah, exactly. I was really excited about Etsy, right? And I was like, you know, I'm going to have a, go- a workshop at Google. And a few years ago, I invited the top Etsy sellers in Illinois, and I heard about their stories. And I was like, I also want you, I wanted to talk to you about SEO and Google. But here's what I learned. I completely was blown away by the women that had come in. They had traveled like 100, 200 miles, or maybe even more than that, the far reaches of Illinois to come to this workshop because they were killing it on Etsy. I mean, there was a woman there. She's, she was making like handmade Raggedy Ann dolls and making like $5,000 a month. You know, I was like, are you kidding me? You're making ra- you're making raggedy andals and you're making five grand a month. And there were some people there that were making 30,000 a month and 40,000 a month and 50,000 a month. And I was like, you know what? Should've learned to sew. I'm telling you, I shouldn't have been looking down at that crafty stuff because like these people have found financial freedom on Etsy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they have found it. It's and real. I'm, it's a real thing. And I was excited about these stories and these women specifically um, were just describing how Etsy transformed their lives. Like they had no foundation until Etsy. And they have, they were, they've transformed their communities, their families, their marriages. I mean, I was like, are you kidding me? This sounds like a cult. What is happening? But, but I'm like, but the main thing is I'm really fascinated by beauty right now. I mean, I feel like now I need to find colors, patterns, flowers. Like I'm looking for smiling face and blue skies. And I think that the thing about Etsy, like there's so many beautiful things now on Etsy, right? And I, I find myself going there just like vicariously looking at things and being inspired. And I do buy things. Like I bought something um, that actually the woman that we have on our show today, I'm going to introduce her in a minute, but I bought something that I found um, through her recommended um, platform. And I bought this beautiful plate with a blue whale on it. It's so cool. I just bought it yesterday. I'm gonna, I can't wait to get it. Um, but like, what about you, Esther? How are you finding beauty right now? Because it, it feels hard right now to like find beauty. I love a good curated list. 
because there's just too much to consume, you know? So any place where I can bookmark something or if I find someone whose aesthetic I like and they're curating, it's like music. There's just too much of it for me. You know, I need something to narrow it down. So anything visual, Etsy is great for that because you can make lists. Today, I'm excited because we have this amazing executive and TV personality on our show. Her sole job is to find and tell us about beautiful things. She provides strategy and inspiration to Etsy executives, and um, she shares her unique vision on a really popular TV show. Um, And I really can't wait to learn from her about how Etsy is providing artists and creators and creative entrepreneurs a money-making platform to create, pivot, grow, scale, and become financially independent, as I said earlier. Dana Eisen Johnson is a trend expert for Etsy and a judge on the NBC primetime series Making It, hosted by Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman. In her role as a trend expert, she is in constant pursuit of new and unique finds and is passionate about helping shoppers find special pieces that showcase their personal style. She is responsible for keeping her finger on the pulse of the latest and greatest designs, while shining a spotlight on the incredible community of 2.8 million small business owners on Etsy. She has expertise across a multitude of categories of handmade and artisanal items from home decor to fashion and accessories, and often demonstrates DIY projects for all ages and skill levels. She makes frequent appearances on national television and satellite radio shows and is regularly quoted as a resource in lifestyle and news publications. In her free time, you can find Dana in the kitchen whipping up sweet treats or biking around New York with her husband and dog, Mojo. Women have so much to offer on Etsy, and Black women makers and creators especially have a super-powered place in Etsy to call home. So um, I want to do introduce everyone to Dana Isom Johnson from Etsy. Welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you. What's going on? How are things at Etsy land? How are things with you today? Did you have a great day today? You were busy. Things are just blowing up in your world. I, I had a great day today. I mean, I, I am very much so a person who uh, sets intentions and is mindful. So I try to set the intention every day that I'm going to have a great day. And hopefully that, that that comes to fruition. And today it did. It was a great day. It was a voting day. We voted. It was a great day. Um, and at, in Etsy land, it is beyond busy because now more than ever, people are wanting to support small businesses. And uh, that, of course, makes us very happy and fills our heart that people are wanting to support these small businesses all over the world. We need to know about you because you are a cheerful, crispy, snappy you know, just <laughs> bright, shining force right now. And I need to understand a little bit about, you know, your history. What was happening when you were a little girl as a creative? Because you are a, you are like a black girl magic creative person, right? Were you an artist as Thank a child? You so much. Uh, well, you know what? I like to say that we were all artists as children. I think some way we get lost in the sauce of like 13 and trying to be cool and trying to stray away from being artistic and creative because someone told us it wasn't cool. And then we lose that of ourselves. So I I really think that everyone is a creative as a kid. Um, And for myself, I grew up in the sticks of Virginia, country girl in a small town called Louisa County. Uh, So I grew up kitchen in the kitchen with my grandma, cooking things from scratch with my mom, making daisy necklaces, making mud pies, all the things that you do in the country. Wow. I love that. You were making mud pies. (laughs) Yes, I was. I've never seen a mud pie. Charging, charging for it. I would go up to my parents and I'd say, "Okay, I have created this incredible mud pie from red clay. That's going to be five dollars." And I was an entrepreneur at a young age. Wow. And so, I mean, your parents. What did your mom and dad do? I mean, were they just like, "Oh yeah, how much would you charge for it?" Did they have financial discussions with you? Did they run a business themselves, or were they working, or what? No, my my mom is a retired social worker, so she is just a giver by nature and always taught me uh, and my siblings to be kind to everyone you know, to give back whenever you can, and to just just be a, a good person. And my dad is retired military man from the Navy, 
actually the best lesson from my dad, because he is probably one of the most confident people I've ever met in my entire life. And so his greatest lesson to us was to look in the mirror every day and say, I love me. There's no one else who can love me more than me. What do you think about that, Ginger? That for me is so simple, but it's so powerful. Yeah, I never had anybody say that to me. <laughs> I mean, that's what I think about. I'm like, like I wish I had a, because I'd probably be like, like up hello? there at the top of the kind mountain. Of like, I'm the king of the hill. I don't know. You okay? <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. I mean, for real. Your parents were not entrepreneurs and it doesn't sound like they were artists, right? So when you were a child, what were you dreaming of doing? Or what were they thinking you were going to be doing then? Uh, when I was a kid, I actually, I, I always wanted to be like a fashion designer. I remember when I was probably around seven, I got this toy. I was a Barbie fanatic, any and everything, all Barbies. I made up stories and did all the things. Um, but there was this one toy that was a trace and draw set, and it was all different plates that you could make your own outfits from, switch out the hair, switch out the top, switch out the bottom, and uh, you you traced over it and you, and you drew your own outfit. And I said, oh, this is what I want to do. I want to be a fashion designer. And then I quickly learned, oh, girl, you can't draw without these tracing plates. So this is not going to work out for you. Uh, so then that pivoted to me wanting to be a buyer. What happened between that, you know, early time of artistic curiosity to when you got to high school? Were you starting to already know what path you were on or what was happening? So in high school, I, I was taking two different paths and I was trying to figure out which lane to go down. So I was taking fashion marketing classes at the same time taking culinary classes because I thought for college I was either going to go and be a chef or I was going to go and be a buyer. So I applied to only two schools, Johnson and Wills, the culinary school that was based in Rhode Island, I think it was, and then the Fashion Institute of Technology here in New York. And I said, okay, I'm going to decide between culinary and fashion and figure out which way to go. Wow. I mean, Esther, that is so soon and so early to me. Like I'm sitting here like, okay, you know what? I am an underachiever. I've always been very proud of myself. Um, <laughs> I'm not, and I'm not diminishing my accomplishments, but that is to me astonishing. So you had clarity very young and, you know, just sort of on the high school spot a little bit, because when I was in high school, I was an awkward high schooler. I mean, I was not interested in fashion. I really wasn't. I was an artist, but I just I, I didn't have that refined focus that you're describing. Were you wearing fashion? I mean, were you in theater as well? Were you oh, sort of yeah. in the whole, like you weren't in the economics or the, or the science side oh, of the God, house, no. right? <laughs> oh no, God, no. No, 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 <laughs> That was, that's definitely not I mean, not Esther, me. Esther has a master's in public health. So she's like, the, I do. Yeah. So she's, <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, I my hat is off to you. Science I commend art. you. It is. It is. And listen, honestly, I always say that there's not one definition of creativity. How you express your creativity is totally up to you. True. But for me, that was not the way. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> but yeah, no, I just I had two very clear passions. I loved to bake, I loved to cook, and I loved getting dressed and putting things together and dressing many of my friends in, in high school. And I just, I didn't know which path to take, but I, you know, ended up of course going the fashion route. How did you experience beauty as, as a, a young girl? What was beauty to you? How did you define it? What did it look like? Uh, well, you know, I come from a, a large Southern family. I have 10 aunts and uncles on my mom's side and most of them are women so to me, beauty was seeing them, seeing them in leadership roles, whatever that may be, not necessarily being a CEO and running a company, you could be running the church. And that was just so incredible to me. And, and I thought they were also beautiful. I still, still think they're beautiful. They're, they inspire me each and every day. And then in terms of beauty in the world, I just, I really tried to not let other people influence me and try to define what I considered beautiful and what I considered stand out and really eye-catching. And that has helped me along the way, especially mm -hmm. to where I am now in my career. When I think about my early childhood and beauty, I mean, my vision of beauty is definitely, has definitely evolved from when I was younger. And it, and it really because, is partly because, um, you know, 
the world that I grew up in, you know, fashion was very simple in one lane and it wasn't multidimensional. It definitely wasn't multicultural. You know, I had a very narrow view of what beauty needed to be. And that probably is why in some ways I'm very militantly multicultural, pro-multicultural than I think other people would be just because I feel like I'm battling that sort of, you know, aspect of my childhood a little bit. But I love the way you describe beauty um, because it does mean something different to different people. And there's always a battle raging, especially in America when it comes to beauty. And I want to talk about that later because that has to do it to me with the black aesthetic. But it sounds like you were really supported as a child. I mean, you never had any pushback around you being a creative black girl. Because a lot of us had that. Yeah, no, and I, I, I understand that. But I, I'm so blessed to come from the family that I come from. My family is everything to me. W- without my family, I would absolutely not be anywhere I am today. Though my parents did not want to see their youngest child go away to New York and not know anyone and kind of do this thing that they had no idea what it meant to be a buyer or to go to FIT or any of that. We're talking about a middle-class, traditional Black family from from rural Virginia. Um, But they believed in me. And uh, to to have that kind of support system is just, I don't even know what to compare it to. I, I, I would not be anywhere without the support of my, my family. As you moved through high school and into college, did you start seeing possibilities for your life as a working creative? So what's really interesting is that because I didn't come from a background or a, a school, a high school that knew anything about fashion, I really thought that there were only two paths for me. I thought, okay, I can't draw, so I can't be a designer. The only other thing you can do in the fashion industry is to be a buyer and be the person who selects the merchandise and puts it in the store. But going to FIT opened my eyes so much to all the different ways that you can be involved in the industry that I had no idea even exists. And I think that was just because I was a small town girl that just had this this set idea of what the fashion industry was. And in reality, it was like a thousand times bigger than what what I was imagining. How did you know to do that? Were you self-guided? Were you doing research? Did somebody help you figure this out? Because you're, you're talking about being a buyer very early on. I didn't even know what a buyer was until I became an adult. I never even thought that would have been a career. Yeah. So uh, back to the family, one of my incredible aunts, uh, who lived in New York at the time, she is, uh, well, she's retired now, but she was an executive for Volvo at the time in HR. And she would come down to the family cookouts and, you know, at family cookouts, all the aunts and uncles always, okay, so how's school going? So what you want to do? All those great questions. And I would say to her, oh, Anita, you know, I I really want to work in fashion. And she's like, oh, okay. You know what? You're going to come to New York with me for one weekend, and I'm going to show you this school called FIT, and I'm going to take you on a tour, and then you you see if you like it or not. And then if you want to decide to apply, then you can do that. And I was like, okay, great. So she she brought me to New York one weekend when I was a sophomore, I think, in high school, and she took me to my first Broadway play and really kind of exposed me to what the big city was. And it was at that time that I fell in love with New York. I said, okay, this, this fashion thing, this, this is exciting. This is cool. This is what is maybe going to like feed my soul. And, and then it was, all, it was all history from there. I think that's astonishing. I mean, you were so young and you knew your path so early and you had someone around you to solidify that. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, were you seeing Black people in this time? I mean, were you seeing Black people on TV? Did you see yourself? Because I'm always wondering, did you have any mirrors or were you just like, I don't need a mirror? I know what I want. I don't need a mirror. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I question that whole conversation. I'm like, I, you know, I didn't have a mirror. I didn't need one. I wasn't looking for a mirror. I just did. There, I mean, in terms of turning on the TV and seeing someone who looked like me, definitely not. I mean, I remember vividly like loving Fresh Prince. And I remember people saying, oh, you look like Ashley. (laughs) And that being like the closest person in terms of the celebrity world of someone saying that I look like. Um, But I remember as as a teenager and as 
uh, really a young adult, the one thing that I did struggle with in terms of my appearance was my hair. I straightened my hair up until I was probably 22, 23. Uh, And it was at that point that I had moved to New York and I was really starting to be comfortable with myself and saying, what? I don't, I don't need to straighten my hair. I'm going to just go ahead and let me be me, be free. Um, and it was then that I, I'd stopped straightening my hair. But otherwise, I marched to my own beat. So when you were going through college, did you see other Black women um, as, you, as you went through your college journey in fashion? Uh, not too many, but I did. Uh, my, my best friend, who is now my sister, who I met freshman year of college, uh, who's an incredible swimwear designer, Tanika. Uh, she and I quickly became friends. And um, she was just, she was another cool black girl who who loved fashion and who didn't think it was weird. And so I I did find my, my I don't want to call it a clique. It was like my, my, my crew uh, that just made me feel very comfortable and accepting of, of myself. New York, New York just opens you up to so many things. So you mentioned that you, you have a friend who's now an amazing swimwear designer. Did you have a group of people or community that kept you focused in that way where you guys were all like, we, we're ambitious and we're going to do this? Or what was that support system like? Yeah. So throughout college, I was also an RA, a, a residence assistant. We were all very focused. We were all very driven. But I also think FIT is such a different university from your traditional college because First of all, when you when you start, and I don't know if this is the same today, this was forever ago, but you choose a major the moment you start at FIT. Whereas at most universities, you know, you can go undeclared, you can kind of find yourself and, and find your, your route. But at FIT, they really encourage you to select that major right on. And you come to a university that everyone shares the same love of creativity and drive. And so I really think that helped me um, stay focused. And not to mention, my parents sent me to New York City. I can't go and, and screw around. That that's, that's not okay. I needed to go and succeed. So when you were in New York and you know, you're surrounded by creativity and art and movement and energy and vibrancy, I love New York and I miss it. I mean, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I love it. When you were moving forward, because I, you know, clearly you were ambitious from a very young age. You know, you said you, you know, march to the beat of your own drummer, which is absolutely amazing. Um, I love hearing that, um, especially from a black woman. I love that. Did you have to leave anyone behind and say, you know what, you know, like I, I, this is like, I got to cut this part off and I got to say, see you later. Bye. Otherwise, you know, you might get off track. Absolutely. And I don't feel bad about it one bit because I'm a firm believer in reasons and seasons. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, these people who I no longer speak with that I don't wish them well, that I, I hope that they are continuing to thrive, but they had a reason and a season in my life. And that time came to an end and you need to move on. You decided, I can't draw, so I'm going to have to do something else in fashion. And you were so fortunate to know that you were going to be a buyer. When did you realize that you had a curator's eye? Like, what point did you say, wow, like my eye is very different from other people's eyes. I can see things other people can't see. And then, you know, once you did that, how did you figure out how to execute on that on that vision? Because some people can see things, but they can't do anything with it. So I ended up uh, with an advertising and marketing at FIT. And when I first got out of it, I, I went into marketing and PR because marketing and PR really allowed me to tell creative stories about products, get people excited, find the products that I wanted to um, to showcase in front of them. Because the fun thing about PR is that it's really just about storytelling And if you don't believe in the product, you can't sell it and you can't tell the narrative. Um, So that portion of my career really allowed me to um, to learn the storytelling aspect behind the, the curated eye, because finding pretty pictures and finding items is great. But how are you going to elevate it even more? And you do that by storytelling. In my mind, you're 
you seem like you've always known what you what you wanted to be. Do you still consider yourself a a creator or creative now that you're doing more of a curating role? I do because in my spare time, I still like to create things. So uh, I like to make candles. I'm still an avid baker. I just made a really tasty strawberry layered cake yesterday. I like to do just DIY things. I decorate. um, So I consider myself a designer in some aspects. I just, I like to do anything that allows me to express my creativity. Sometimes people go in and when they're doing work that kind of has to do with maybe creative adjacent things, that individual private passion kind of goes away or takes a back seat. So it seems like you have a really rich creative life. How do you keep that going? Well, meditation is like a key area of my life. And I try to meditate uh, almost every day. And sometimes my meditation focus is on igniting my creativity. Other times it's about being more quiet and and toning things down. Because sometimes you know, as, as creatives, we have so much going on inside our brains and we need to like focus and tame it down. But mindfulness and meditation really helps me do either of the two, either ignite or quiet. Do you have a mantra? You know what? I, it depends on the day. I, I had, I, I lived by one mantra and now I can't even remember because it was like a six month time period and I wrote it down in my journal every day. Um, but I have not since created a new one. But you just, you, you're you lighting the fire under my butt for me to do my I know. Thing. I was just thinking, because you said that you have, like, what you, what you do sometimes is you meditate to keep creative. And so um, I do struggle with that myself. I'm a musician as well. And, you know, my husband and I oh, have, wow. yeah, we have three albums. And our fourth record has been very challenging to balance with our work, with our work lives and our family life, right? And so um, we have to do all kinds of things. And I think that, you know, I'm, I, I feel as if my husband, he actually does meditate and I don't. And I think that the reason he's able to get more done and more accomplished creatively is because he does what you're describing. I'm really kind of curious too, when I think about all the things you're doing, um, all the things you have done, how did you get your first big break? It sounds like you got, you might've gotten a break early. I mean, and and you can define break however you define it, you know, because I know, I know exactly who was there who gave me my first big break, which set off a whole string of, of, of success? Like, I think we have major breaks throughout our, our life um, because, like, to me, my first break was moving to New York at 18. Because if I never would have moved to New York, none of this would have ever happened. I would have never been experienced, um, never, never had the experiences that I've had thus far. And then in terms of my career, all, all of the, the TV and, and um, the TV show, all of that really popped off from one particular day. And this was when I, I was still at Etsy very early on in my Etsy days. And I was behind the scenes training someone to go onto Good Morning America for our very first TV slot. And I was... Um, training her with all the messages. And as the PR person, you write the messages, you source the content, and then you, you give it to the person who, um, who then presents on the, the company's behalf. So I was training this person. We were supposed to go live on GMA the very next day. And at the last minute, that person could no longer go on the show. I was completely freaking out because as a PR and marketing person, you just don't give up Good morning, America. It's like a once in a lifetime type of opportunity. Um, so I was chatting with my my PR colleague and I was like, oh my God, what are we going to do? We can't tell the producers no. And she said, Dana, it's all good. We have the person. I said, no, we don't. She said, yeah, we do. It's you. You're just, you're going to go on tomorrow morning. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she said, you wrote the messages, you know, the content. I, I believe in you. I think that this is what you were supposed to be doing. And so the next morning I went on Good Morning America and did our very first TV spot uh, for weddings. And then TV took off from there. And then it was at that point that I approached my supervisors and said, hey, look, I think we're doing this, this narrative of the Etsy shopping um, story all wrong. And I want to be the person that delivers how people shop, what they're finding and and be a curator. 
And we were early on in those days. We were still kind of in a startup phase. And I said, okay, see how it works out. And then that's how my trend expert role was born. Oh my God. You know, I, that is, that is absolutely perfect. Cause I was, I want you to help me and all of our, you know, black women professionals understand when that moment comes, what do we need to do to make sure that we're ready for it? Because you were ready. I mean, you were totally ready for that moment. And, you know, what do you tell, how can, what do you tell women? This is what you need to be doing because when this happens, you just got to hit the ground running. Did you have strategies to get yourself there? What, what, like, how did you build to that space? No, I had no (laughs) strategies. You're just like nothing. (laughs) Mm -mm. No, I think, you know what, honestly, I think it is, is that, especially as black women, we have to not be fearful to speak up and share the unique gifts that we have and um, to not quiet the fear of what if they come back with this? What if I'm not ready? Yeah, but what if you are? And what if this moment doesn't come back? So take advantage, speak up. The worst thing that can happen is they say no. And then you move on. What was the biggest vision that you, you've given up on along the years? The vision of me wanting to be a buyer, I gave that up because I'm not a mathematician. I don't like spreadsheets that wasn't going to work. When I was early on in PR, I thought, oh, I want my own PR firm. I gave that up. I realized that while I I liked PR and I was good at it, it wasn't what I was passionate about. So I needed to give that up. You, You can't be stuck in a gig that just pays the bills. That's no, that's no life to live. You, you gotta like, Feel that passion, that burn, and really like what you do. How do you feel that you had the courage, though, to turn away? Because I think a lot of Black women, I shouldn't say a lot. I mean, there's some Black women that that have to give up some of their dreams to keep moving forward and making money. It sounds like you were like, I don't really need to do that, or I don't care if I'm broke for like years and years. I just can't do something that I hate or don't feel passionate about. Is this something that you're just, you were, you were born with, or did you have guidance and coaching around this? No, I think it's about being a risk taker. Uh, there are certain times in life where you just have to jump and be willing to accept the consequences on either side. Uh, when I left, I, I started my career at the Chico's FAS brands. I took a risk and went to a scrappy startup called Etsy. That was only a hundred employees at the time that could have very easily folded. But I said, no, I think this internet thing is going to be like a big deal. And I want to move away from brick and mortar and try something in the internet space. Some, some time along, I'm I'm sure that there's going to be a risk that is not in my favor and that's okay. Like I have to, you have to be willing to accept either side of the risk and say, you know what, at least I tried. You said you came to Etsy when it was still kind of in the startup phase. What was the original intention for independent entrepreneurs at Etsy? What was what was the company trying to build for them? Yeah, so when Etsy was founded by Rob Kalin and two other of his friends, uh, he was an artist himself and he was tired of schlepping all his stuff around from craft fair to craft fair. And he wanted to create a destination for artists and curators, vintage as well, uh, to sell their, their items without having to travel. And I mean, that is still certainly the case today, but I think our vision has grown so much past that. And I'm not sure if he ever knew the magnitude of success that so many of our sellers Uh, would make in these last 15 years. So you describe yourself as a trend expert. What is a trend expert? Are you the only, are you the trend expert or is this a group of different trend experts? So I I am the trend expert at Etsy, um, but I certainly don't do this alone. I work very closely with our data analytics team, with our merchandising team, 
Um, and basically, it's my job to find, discover, uh, and then shed a light on all of these incredible, unique items that are found on Etsy. And I, I take a, a really good look at what customers are engaging with. So what they're searching for, what they're clicking on. And then based on that information, I'll write quarterly trend guides and kind of serve it up on a pretty platter for customers to see, oh, okay, here's what's popular on Etsy right now. Um, here's what people are interested in. And I think it's really also helpful for our seller community as well, because they look to my trend guides as inspiration for a lot of the items that they create. But I also, I, I, I love that our seller community is also just they don't work like a traditional retail function. You don't have a brand president to, to follow. You don't have a creative director. You are the creative director, which means your creativity can run outside the box, across the box, wherever you want. And there have been many instances where trends start on Etsy uh, because these sellers are just insanely talented and feed off of each other. And then these things bubble into trends. Well, speaking of trends, do you only, you know, turn your gaze towards Etsy or are you looking other places for trends? Like, I don't know, right now you're probably not traveling as much, but were you traveling around and looking at things and then coming back and, and seeing if you could find it on Etsy? Cause you're talking about data and looking at what's actually happening on Etsy, but what, what is your process like without giving away all of your secrets? Yeah. So there, there, in addition to uh, the data that I collect from internal searches, I'm also using s- traditional sources like WGSN and Trend Bible that are really those like traditional forecasting services. And I, I compare the two and see if there's overlap or if, see if one doesn't match the other. Uh, and in terms of traveling, I love to travel. I miss it I know, so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I miss it so much. Where'd you used to go to find things? Oh, my husband and I, we would just, we'd go wherever, wherever. I wouldn't even go with the intention of finding things. I just, we like getting lost in cities and just trotting all over and just seeing what I see. Mm-hmm. And when you would, when you would travel, would you choose destinations where you knew you could find things to buy? Yes, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. The last the last fun place we went um, was actually one of my bucket list destinations. We went to Mexico City because I'm a huge Frida Kahlo fan. And um, the markets in Mexico City are just, oh, they're so dreamy. Does Etsy have a brand style that informs your searches? Or do you feel like your searches are 100% you? I mean, because, you know, there is that fine line between, I mean, does Etsy have a brand in terms of the people that are on the platform or how does that integrate into what your job is? We have something for everyone. I mean, literally, you could think of the most random thing, and I'm sure someone on Etsy makes it. I mean, at this point, we're 2.8 million active shops from around the globe. So there's really something for everyone. So there's not one singular customer. Um, but it's very important for me to my job, for, for my job to draw a line between what Dana likes and what people are engaging with because there are some times that what Dana likes does not match up to the search and data analytics. And that's okay. And to me, that's what makes a great curator, a great marketer, a great person who who can really distinguish who their audience is because uh, what I personally like doesn't, doesn't matter unless they're specifically asking me, what are Dana's picks? then that's different. I really want to understand the the community of Black sellers on Etsy. You said there are 2.8 million sellers on Etsy. What, is the, what does the Black Etsy seller community look like right now? We don't have that nailed down as to how many identify as Black, how many identify as white, and so on. But uh, we were talking about female entrepreneurship a little earlier, and that we do have. And, and Etsy shops we have 87% of our businesses are female owned. So it is a heavily, heavily run by female shop owners. I want to think about Black women in technology because you actually work for a tech company. What can other Black women do to apply your lens and experience so they can find success 
in a tech company, right? Because, you know, you're taking apart some of your own stuff and using the data on, on Etsy platforms. So you're kind of, you know, compartmentalizing in some ways your blackness, right? You know, how, do, how have you been able to do that? Because it's, it's really tough being black in tech. It absolutely is. It's very difficult. But I think when it comes to, like, there's two separate sides of it, right? It's like me being a black woman internally at the company and then externally, right? So internally within Etsy, it's really wonderful because we have uh, employee resource groups, which are really great. So we have our black inter- black resource group, which is called Bridge. Uh, we have an Asian one. We have one for parents. We have one for uh, LGBTQI. So all these different self-identifying groups that allow you to feel like you have a community of like people um, and you can express yourself in any way that you want. Like we had an incredible Juneteenth um, celebration all last week. And it really makes you feel like, you know what? I'm not alone here. I have people who understand what I'm going through, especially when I'm sitting in these meetings and someone might say something sideways. I can go to someone and I can feel heard. Um, because we, as, as Black people, we all have experienced that. And it may not be something that's necessarily uh, overtly racist, but it, it's just... It's something that that we go through. It's just it's a part of our our corporate lives, unfortunately. And then when it comes to externally with my job, um, you know, I'm writing these trend guides, which is of course for the broader selection of customers. But it's also very important for me that I highlight black-owned shops. It's always been important for me since day one, since before the world started talking about supporting black owned businesses. We've been doing this. Um, So I I started a page probably about a year and a half ago. We call them editors picks pages, but they are very curated selections of different categories. And this particular shot, this particular editors picks page is called black owned businesses. And the, this is just a curated selection of, shops that I found, my colleagues have found and put it together in a shoppable destination. You know, you're on a show called Making It. And um, when I hear you talk about this, it sounds like you're maintaining your authenticity as a Black woman within the corporate space. How are you able to to do that? I mean, it takes a lot to navigate and, and exert influence. You know, you set up a new shop on Etsy, how are you able to do all this work? Um, I need lessons. <laughs> I need lessons. <laughs> Give me some lessons. I think in the last couple of years of my life, I've just decided, you know what? I'm not going to cover up anymore. I'm not going to try to please you because you want me to be a certain way. or And maybe that's like the, you know, some people call it the over over 30, getting real comfortable in yourself phase. And perhaps that's it. But I'm just, I'm not about to paint a picture that's not me. I just don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. And if you don't like uh, the authentic me, then maybe we don't need to rock with each other then. The idea of unapologetic authenticity um, as a Black person is something that's definitely coming to the fore. How have you seen the business environment change for Black creatives since the Black Lives Matter movement? Well, it's been uh, certainly taken a long time to get here. Yeah, you think? You think? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Uh, You know, taking a really long time for us to get here. man. But but the, the positive part of this is that people, non-Black people, want to support our businesses. I think pre the start of this movement, which is, I don't even like calling it a movement, it's something we've been fighting for for forever. The conversation was very, uh, you know, we want to support our businesses because we just want to support each other. It's, It's in the root of our culture that we support each other, that we build each other up. Um, But I think what's new is that people who are not in our community are recognizing that there has been a struggle and they now want to help uplift us as well. What 
consumer trends and technologies uh, can help Black creatives compete and make more money? Where can we gain insights and, and continue to gain a competitive edge? I mean, here's the thing that I love about Etsy, and I, you know, I, I hope I'm not sounding too salesy, but it, it really is quite incredible when you think about how difficult it can be to start a business, whether you're talking about um, the amount of capital it takes to raise or the other resources that you need. When you start a business on Etsy, you are, you are, uh, the charge is 20 cent and an idea. So if you are a creator and you make something, or if you're a vintage curator, because we sell vintage items as well, you can start your business for 20 cent. And we don't um, frown upon you having a Shopify, having a this, having a that. Like we, we want your business to succeed. And if that means being in multiple platforms, um, then that's fine. And I think in terms of having a competitive edge, if you want to try out all of these different selling platforms and testing out one product on this platform and another on this platform, it'll allow you to test your customer base and see, okay, this product works well on here, but it doesn't work so well on this one. Black culture is at the center of popular culture in America in a lot of ways. How is this idea of intellectual property being handled at, at Etsy? Yeah, so we have a legal team that looks into um, anything that's an IP infringement. So whether that's a Nike check or, or using Beyonce's likeness, something like that. Um, these are all things that are certainly flagged because you're putting yourself, the business owner, at risk because uh, those businesses will sue you and they'll, they'll come after you. So we have an internal team that's constantly looking at um, if businesses are, are serving up any IP infringements. We've talked a lot about what it means to be a Black creative and if it's valuable being a Black creative, should we be Black creative? Should we identify as a Black creative? What is the Black aesthetic? And it's a real, it's a real conversation, Dana, because you know, we're dealing with a white curated world from fashion to museums, to books, to photography, to advertising agencies, things like that. And now, of course, with everything that's going on, suddenly there's a lot of conversation around this. And there's some really obnoxious conversations around it, actually, that I'm really irritated about on LinkedIn. And I'm, and I'm, I'm not holding back. I'm like you. I'm like, you know what? Time's up. I'm done. I'm like, it's like, mm-hmm. we're just going to have a real conversation about this. I don't care what happens or who fires me. Like, I have to say my, my piece. But should we even call ourselves Black creatives? And let me just tell you why. Because tech companies are now moving towards identifying Black-owned businesses in more ways than they've ever identified Black-owned businesses before. Identifying them on Google searches, you know, putting them and listing them in places. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm like, this looks like a segregated model to me. It looks like we're going back to the Black door, you know? And I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what, you know, you're in this space of, of super trend. You are also an, an amazing Black woman at, at Etsy and you're, you're, you're highlighting and finding beauty, Black beauty. How do you feel about this, this whole... You know, I don't know if I want to be labeled as a black creative. I mean, I'm okay with it, but I'm also not sure. I know. You know what? It's it's a tricky situation because as a black business owner, right, and as, as a black consumer, there have been so many times that I specifically want to support a black owned business, specifically. And If like on Etsy, you can have like a little avatar that shows a picture of yourself or shows a picture of your logo, whatever that may be. There have been so many times that I'm not sure if that shop is run by a black business owner because I can't see the picture because they're not self-identifying. That challenges me to say, ah, but I wanted to support a black business. So I think in terms of like being a consumer Sometimes it's very helpful for you to identify yourself as a Black creative, as a Black business, because of those consumers who specifically want to support you, right? So there's one side of it. The other side is this 
this thing that companies are, are trying to take advantage of because it's the cool moment that I'm not into because uh, it just seems like too much of a marketing ploy. So I think if you're, if you're teetering into marketing ploy and not being authentic for the people who want to support that business for a clear reason, then it feels weird to me. But if you're self-identifying for the sole purpose of, I want customers to find me because I'm a black business and I want to sp- support another black business, then I don't have an issue with it. It is tough. Um, I mean, there's a raging conversation right now on LinkedIn about the absolute failure of supplier diversity programs, for example, you know, the hoops that they make us black people that own a business go through to, to even get to the point of having certifications that we're identifying ourselves as black. And then once we get there, nothing happens anyway. <laughs> You're just like, okay, I did all this and there's no money or business coming. It's just, it's, it's really an interesting thing. And, you know, when I think about Etsy, you're right. When I did my workshop at Google looking for the top Illinois sellers, I wanted the top Illinois black Etsy sellers. I'm going to tell you right now, I could, I could not find any. There was one black person that showed up at my workshop, a woman. And she was doing really well. And she, I don't even know how she found my, my outreach because I was asking him like, where are the black sellers in Etsy in Illinois? Because I want to support the black Etsy sellers because I know the struggle that they're going through. I mean, they're making the least amount of money, just like black businesses everywhere are making the least amount of money. It's not just exclusive to Etsy. And it's a tough thing. What, so of the black Etsy sellers do, you know, that are on Etsy, is there a black Etsy seller community? Do you, do you know where they are? Do they know you exist? I mean, how do, how do they convene and, 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 and be like, you know, we are powerful black sellers on Etsy? Well, I certainly hope that they know that I exist. If they don't, hey, y'all, I hope you're <laughs> listening right now. Hit me up. Let's talk. <laughs> Show me your stuff. Um, I, have, I have no issues with getting DMs directly so that I can see your stuff. Um, <laughs> But in terms of community, so we have these things called teams on Etsy. And it's really a community-driven, seller-led platform that allows groups of sellers to come together and form smaller communities. And we actually just released the Etsy Black-owned team, which is great because we want, and especially for myself, I wanted to make sure that there was a community that Black sellers could have a sense of belonging, have a sense to help uplift and promote each other. Because I think that's the other really great thing about Black businesses that maybe other businesses don't do is that we promote each other, especially right now. The amount of tags that I've seen on Instagram and on Facebook and all these things like uplift each other. Let's show each other off. Uh, So this team is a really great opportunity for those numbers to continue to grow uh, and for those businesses to support each other. And of course, I'm I'm there to support as well. The thing you just described, is that a publicly available platform? Yeah. So it's on Teams and they just have to uh, click to apply and they'll get accepted. How how can I see it as a consumer? Well, what is it going to look like for me? Yeah, so it's actually going to also be a shoppable page. So when you scroll down at the bottom of when you're at the homepage of Etsy, you're going to scroll down to a button that says Teams. And then within, once you get to that next page, you'll be able to type in Etsy Black Owned and you'll see the team pop up and you can ask to be a part of it. We have captains and co-captains who run the team. And then uh, I'm, I'm also inside of it to talk and, you know, have forum chats with folks. Uh, But then it's also a shoppable destination. So you'll be able to, as a consumer, see, oh, okay, here's a list of 200 plus or however many people are going to join this. Um, And you can shop from directly from their shops. You can just click out to the links. I think in 2018, Etsy appointed a black woman to the board, right? Um, Edith Cooper. Edith. Yes. Yeah. And I remember when that news hit and I was like, 
Oh my God, we got a powerful black woman on a board of directors at my favorite, favorite tech company. Do you feel like her appointment and then your work and your efforts and your vision and, you know, desire to help black creative people, has this created a a different environment than before she was appointed to the board? Or do you feel like it's just an ongoing, continuous transformation of evolution of Etsy? Yeah, I think it's ongoing. First of all, I think Edith is incredible. I've attended several of her events that she's had um, to come and speak to the bridge community that that we have internally. Um, and she's just, she's great. She's a, a bad lady. Well, I would imagine. I mean, look at you, like you and Edith too. I mean, seriously, like these are you, you, the two of you, I watched, I've watched her videos and I mean, Etsy knows how to pick them. I'm serious. <laughs> Oh, that, that makes me feel very good. Thank you. Cause Edith is, she's, she's incredible, but I I will say this about Etsy and I've been there. It'll be nine years in November. So I've seen the company come a long way from startup phase to where we are today. And diversity has always mattered. It, It maybe hasn't been a priority in the beginning days, but there was always the conversation. And I'm just really proud to be a part of a company first of all, has me involved in in the discussion. That's the first thing. Um, And just wants us to continue to grow and to continue to diversify and make sure that a room is not just full of all white people. Thank you. Hallelujah. I mean, come on, Esther. (laughs) We need to add applause soundbite because that is uh, like (laughs) you always say that and you're like, never mind. (laughs) I mean... Christmas is coming, and I know if you haven't started preparing for Christmas, you're really late. You're really late. But, I mean, it's late. I mean, I know it's been hard because we had, you know, we have this crisis, this pandemic, and, you know, it's just been very difficult for everyone. It's Everyone's behind. But what are the top three things that Etsy sellers should be implementing right now on their pages to prepare for holiday sales? Well, I think the number one thing... Uh, especially right now, is to be flexible because four months ago, none of us knew that we were going to be in this place that we're in right now. And that has so greatly affected the trends that have surfaced and that have continued to gain popularity over the last four months. Like I think about how DIY kits, they were like rising, but they've tripled in popularity in the last three months because people are spending more time at home they want to learn a new skill. They want to do something fun with their families that's not always watching Netflix. Netflix is great, but it gets old after a while. One of the greatest things about being a small business is that because you have a small batch production, you're able to react so much quicker than big box retailers. So I think about mask, right? Four months ago, when you would Google search a mask, it would bring up like a Halloween mask or it would bring up a beauty mask. It would certainly not bring up a face mask that is an essential product today. And since I believe the month of April, we sold 12 million face masks on Etsy. And that is because these businesses learned how to quickly pivot and say, okay, I can't be a fashion designer right now because no one wants to wear like, you know, real work clothes. So I'm going to use this fabric instead and make a beautiful face mask. And they were able to quickly pivot. So that that's the first thing. Be flexible, be nimble. Uh, the second thing is to make sure that you have top quality photography. Because when you're an online business, your photography is your storefront. So if if someone is not able to come in, touch, feel, try on, really experience IRL, You need to give them all the business within a photograph and be unique, be unique. No one wants run of the mill products anymore. It's why our businesses on Etsy are so popular because you can personalize, you can customize and you can make someone open a gift on that holiday morning and make them cry a little one tear out the right eye because it's so special and it's so unique. 
uh, and it's not off the shelves of Target. So, um, and you know, I think one other thing to just keep in mind is that, like I said before, no other time has there been more popularity around supporting small businesses and especially black businesses. So this is your time. It takes 20 cent and an idea to get a business started on Etsy. I love it. Um, I want to ask you, um, do you have any Etsy seller that we should be looking at right now? Black Etsy seller. You have a couple you want to name? So many. You want to just name like two so or three? Many. Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, Lingua Nigra. She's my absolute favorite. Okay. I had her earrings on earlier. I have about 12 things of hers. She's my favorite. Um, I just received today, actually, a candle from this seller called Mahadevi Collective. That's M-A-H-A-D-E-V-I Collective. She makes great candles. Oh, I have so many. I'm going to give you all two more just because I've been, I, I love this. Um, for your happy hours, there's this incredible seller. Her shop name is M Booze. Her name is Ashley. She does infusion kits. So whether you want to make a mocktail or a cocktail, I've had the sangria. I've had the spicy margarita. I've had the rum punch. She's incredible. Uh, and then my last one, who I also love, gosh, there's so many I could go on and on. But I, I did just buy a, an art print um, from this girl. Her shop is called Art by Monday. She's an incredible artist, and I can't wait to hang her art in my bedroom. What was the last thing you saw or heard about technology, old, new, or repurposed that surprised you or made you hopeful for humanity? The 90s has is having a major resurgence. And so I'm seeing a lot of Etsy sellers create very unique items from uh, cassette tapes and from Discmen and from CDs and turning it into art. So I will turn that into a sustainability message of uh, rather than these things ending up in landfills and clogging up the, the world, creatives are turning this once super hot technology into beautiful art. What is one piece of technology you'd like to see come to fruition that, that you feel like could, could shift the world? You know what? I, I got to say, in this moment that we're in right now, the technology of Zoom and video calls has really helped me stay afloat because, you know, bringing it back to my family and missing them. I, I would travel to Virginia at least once a month to see them. And the fact that I can feel a little connected to them through a screen and um, feel like, you know, we're, we're playing Black Jeopardy together. If you haven't played Black Jeopardy yet, by the way, it's real fun. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> Feeling like we're, it's a sense of togetherness uh, during this very difficult time of, of sheltering in place. That has helped me tremendously. So I've got a question for you. This is the last one. Um, I love asking leaders like yourself what one question they would ask of one of the world's most powerful brands. And the brand that I choose for you is Vogue. What would you ask of them if you had a chance? <laughs> one question. <laughs> One question to vote. Well, let's not get in trouble now, but let's get in trouble. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get in trouble, but I will get in trouble. I'm just gonna ask Anna Wintour. So, who's next since she's stepping down? And hopefully, she comes with an answer that is the one that we want to hear. And you guys know where I'm going with that. So, before we end, um, is there anything cool happening at Etsy right now that you want to share with um, the Black creative community? Yes. So right now at Etsy, we are doing for the second time the Etsy Design Awards, also known as the Etsys. And it's the opportunity for you as business owners on Etsy to nominate one product from your shop and enter for a chance to win $15,000 as the grand prize winner. Uh, and then there are nine other categories that you can win $1,000 and some marketing enhancements to your shop. So this is your opportunity to be seen. I'm a judge. I'm a judge alongside Drew Barrymore. 
So this is a great opportunity to be seen. I wish I was an Etsy seller. Thank you, Dana, for coming to talk to us. This was so much fun. This is a total ball. Everyone can reach Dana on Etsy. Just do a search on Etsy for Dana Isom. And you can also follow her beautiful Instagram feed, which is at Dana Isom Johnson. Thank you so much for listening in to the Honest Field Guide podcast. I'm Ginger. I'm Esther. And I'm Dana. And this is the Honest Field Guide. We'll talk to you next time. The Honest Field Guide podcast is produced by Burke Creative, written and created by Ginger Birkenbuehl and Esther Coro. The podcast is recorded in the innovation and technology capital of the Midwest, Chicago, at Stomping Ground Studios in Ukrainian Village. Original music is written by and provided courtesy of Utah Carroll. Follow Honest Field Guide on Instagram and Twitter. The opinions expressed on the Honest Field Guide are opinions only and only represent the views of Ginger Birkenbuehl and Esther Ikora. E.